Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. My gosh. My lovely guys. Okay. Hey, hey, you know, we're not, like, playing shoots and ladders, okay? Our dad just died. And... No, I'm sorry. I'm sad. Mm. And just thinking about how things will shake down, right? There's the board meeting coming up any minute, and I talk to you, and, and he'll have a say. You, so... you need to get a new mommy, okay? We're not your mommy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Kim Renfro. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be recapping, reviewing, spoiling, and discussing Succession Season 4, Episode 4, entitled Honeymoon States. We will not spoil anything from future week's episodes. That includes anything on the next time on preview, but we will be spoiling everything through this week's episode, Season 4, Episode 4. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV, where we're posting a bunch of new videos. And on our YouTube channel, I do want to call out youtube.com slash Decoding TV. We're often broadcasting live. We're doing cool stuff there. So be sure to subscribe at youtube.com slash Decoding TV. You'll get notifications whenever we go live for stuff. Um, I know for a fact when it comes to succession, we'll probably do the last episode live. Mm. Um, And so get subscribed now. Make sure you don't miss that uh, at youtube.com slash Decoding TV. I also want to say, if you want to support this podcast, it's very easy to do that by, obviously, you can leave a review for us wherever you find your podcast, but you can also become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Paid members get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and the occasional bonus episode that we record. But I also love reading the comments at DecodingTV.com. There were many comments responding and reacting to last week's episode. Of course, you can also react at DecodingTV.com, but let me read a few comments from DecodingTV.com. Talking about season four, episode three, Connor's Wedding. Huge episode. Huge episode. Lahiro writes at DecodingTV.com, One thing I'm finding surprising is how moved people are. I found the events fascinating in the way that a nature documentary is fascinating, but strangely less moving. I really felt nothing for these people who, by and large, are all truly terrible. The performances are all brilliant and believable, but not really relatable for me. There's something about these people that even in grief is completely detached from what I consider to be normal human behavior that makes it hard for me to feel anything for them. End quote. uh, Another DecodingTV.com member responds. His name is Logan. Um, Logan responded, quote, I don't know your experience and whether or not you have closely dealt with a minute-to-minute response to someone dying or having died, but that's a large part of the reason this episode hit me so hard. I just experienced my grandfather passing away in January, and he was much more like a father figure to me than a grandfather. And this episode brought that entire experience back to me in the most visceral way. The way the kids responded in this episode wasn't like how most people would respond, but it was still rooted in the very basic emotion you would expect when encountering the death of a, loved, of a close loved one. I think a large part of what makes the show work is that familial and essentially human drama and emotions still exist at that level of wealth, despite being so out of touch for most people. It's strangely compelling because Logan is terrible, and I don't feel terrible he died, and the kids are terrible, and I don't feel terrible that they are facing difficulties. What feels terrible 
about the show is knowing that these characters still feel these things that most regular people have felt, but the way it's all processed is so different and complex for a variety of reasons that the show tries to address. I guess at TLDR, it's moving because it's harrowing, a very harrowing real experience that a lot of people have felt, and it's not hard to out yourself, or sorry, put yourself in the shoes of terrible people if they're also going through that experience. Empathy isn't excusing who they are, end quote. Kim, I, th- I saw a lot of uh, differing reactions to the episode. You know, some people were like, I felt nothing. Other people like Kim Renfro were saying I was crying for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, y- you know, all season we have been kind of talking about this question of how you should watch the show, how you quote unquote should watch the show. There's no right way to watch the show, but I think it's clear that – yeah. Um, people have very differing reactions. Like some people are so repelled by the Roy's mm-hmm. that uh, something like last week, it doesn't have any effect on them. In fact, it's, it's like watching something terrible happen to someone terrible. It's, you know, for many of us, they would feel nothing or possibly even some amount of pleasure in that. Um, for others, uh, succession makes you see the humanity in those people, regardless of how terrible they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes you feel... Uh, a deep well of sympathy. What do you think? Uh, any further thoughts, Kim, now that you've had a little more time to process last week's episode? I think I don't believe I'm, I'm, I'm trying very hard to remove the word should from my vocabulary. I, I, I shouldn't. So I should, hey, I should not hey, have no. said should. Don't should yourself in front of all of us, David Chen. Mm-hmm, yeah. No, it's like, I, it's a very human thing. And it's something that I didn't, it's a word that I didn't realize I used so frequently in relation to my own feelings for a very long time. Like I used to really kind of beat myself up for not feeling the way that I thought I was supposed to feel about something, whether that was like excitement or mm-hmm. pride or like connection or like whatever. And yeah, so I, 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 I obviously had a very emotional reaction to the episode and it brought up a lot of like very relatable um, painful memories of times that I've learned someone close to me that I loved had died. And I also totally understand why some people feel the way that they feel about like that there's a detachment happening um, given the awfulness of the actions and beliefs of so many of the people that we're watching in this show. So yeah, I I say feel how you feel. folks. Totally. (laughs) Feel how you feel, live and let live. I don't think there's a right way to watch a show, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's worth noting that people watch the show in very different ways, possibly even on this podcast. I was um, also going to say, I, because like every time that I think, every time that you play a clip at the beginning of our chats, I'm usually laughing. Like it is usually a very like funny or just like so mm-hmm. darkly satirical moment that it's like very amusing to me. And I think that's another thing about this show where some people like, really only see it as a comedy or like really only see it as like that dark satirical vein. And some people see it as like a full tilt drama that just like has good jokes. And then I think I'm somewhere in the middle where I think the point is that they are constantly towing a line between comedy and drama. And that can really affect how like emotional you get about something. If you're Mm -hmm. in that sort of whiplash of like, no, this is hilarious. And like, we're poking fun at these people. Oh no. Also uh, here's this horrible, tragic thing that just happened. And we're going to show it to you in the most like painstaking gut wrenching way with these incredible performances. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for all the feedback at decodingtv.com. Of course, you can also email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. You know, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to this week's episode, Kim. And that is 
it, the state of online spoilerdom uh, mm. feels like in a great state of disarray online. Um, so obviously we're spoiling everything through this week's episode of the show. Uh, but Nizar from DecodingTV.com writes, because few others could understand, let me post this here to my Decoding TV fam uh, about how I couldn't watch the episode live Sunday night and planned instead to watch Monday after a busy workday, only to have Vulture spoil the episode in their fucking headline mid-morning as it splashed across my Google News ticker. Seriously, I was fuming. I'm spoiler-averse, sure, and know how to avoid the obvious treacherous grounds online, but this one snuck by and grabbed me like a fucking Greg. The episode is masterful, but I hate that pathetic clickbait from Vulture of All Places ruined this episode for me. End quote. Uh, I am extremely sympathetic to anyone who wanted to watch last week's episode with no spoilers and was spoiled by an errant headline. Within, I, like, less than 24 hours of the episode airing. Within less than 24 hours. I mean, I do think that Nizar, um, like, if, you, if you're waiting 24 hours to watch the show, uh, I do think, like, the danger increases proportionally the longer you wait. I, I think it is reasonable, personally, to expect that within the 24-hour time window, people aren't going to spoil stuff in headlines. But yeah. that is not the behavior we saw from major outlets. At 6.43 p.m. Pacific time, Last Sunday night, before uh, the before the episode had, had finished, finished right? airing, before it had aired on HBO and West Coast, the Los Angeles Times tweeted out a fake obituary for Logan Roy, and it's like cute obituary, great job spoiling it for everyone, um, and it just feels like the intense desire to be first, first, first is now the overriding factor. Yes, they could have published it. Even earlier, I guess, if they were complete dicks. But uh, it is not cool. For, first of all, many, many outlets, um, Vanity Fair, Vulture, Uproxx, whatever. A lot of outlets were quite considerate. You know, Rolling Stone. They're like, wow, that big succession development. That's completely fine, I think. Right? Yeah. But you, to then- have, you have to... You have to write about it in some degree, and you have to like not fully clickbait people into an article, but also give some indication that like, yes, we're talking about that big thing that just happened in the episode. But exactly, yeah. yeah. But then to put it in the put to put the spoiler in the headline, that's rough. I know for SEO purposes, a lot of people like they oh, might yeah. not put the spoiler in the headline, but they'll put it in the URL, and then it's like, ugh, and like, the browser title, which I'm assuming is what people saw yeah. on Google News. I don't know if people know this, but right. like. Google News is often pulling in not the headline, but yeah, this they have a other... different they have a different title as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, suffice to say, the internet had no chill about yeah. that spoiler last week, and it, I actually wrote a post about it at my free newsletter, decodingeverything.com, where I was like, it really feels like we have crossed the Rubicon. Like you, you can't. It's not even just. It used to be you could just stay off Twitter or mute some words and that would be okay. That's no, that's not enough anymore. Like it needs to be complete media blackout. You need to like turn off your phone, not look at the internet at all. If you want to even have a chance of staying away from spoilers, it is just the world we live in. I don't like it. I don't like that. This is the world we live in, but it is the world we live in now. And I think people need to be ready for it for our, for our, you know, from my perspective, like we always try to be extremely considerate when it comes to spoilers, we will spoil things, but we will tell you that we're about to spoil things and we will we will never put spoilers in the headlines like i'm i'm very conscious kim when i'm um putting up these posts at decodingtv.com 
I, I always try to put the most generic image possible. Yeah. So that no one like looks at the image and is like spoiled. Like, cause these go to people's email boxes. Totally. I'm always like trying not to choose an image that like will spoil anyone. Um, but not everyone is as considerate as us is kind of the point that I'm making. So. Yeah. And I think that the unfortunate reality is these days you have to gauge a, how popular the thing that you're watching in an episodic medium like this is and like how important it is to you to not be spoiled because I used to, ha- I used to starting definitely starting with season six of game of Thrones. I would tell people like, dude, it's the Super Bowl every week. Like it's, it's okay if you don't want to watch it and you can't watch it live, but you're going to wake up and see the score in the morning. Like yeah. everyone's going to be talking about it. So yeah, either you have to completely isolate yourself from the internet until you have time to watch it or understand that there's a risk that something's going to get spoiled for you until you watch it or if you don't watch it live. Totally. And yeah, it's a weird, it's a, that's a weird relationship to have with television that is unique to this day and age of internet and the weird binge culture versus appointment TV culture. And just no one seems to know what the etiquette is supposed to be anymore for the appropriate window of time. It's just, it it is fascinating. Like the thing that's interesting and kind of funny and sad about the story is that it was the LA times that did it, you know, yeah, all the kind of quote unquote digital native publications like vulture, you know, I mean, Vulture also did it in the headline too, so they they that was not cool either. But but uh, in general, a lot of the digital publications are they know that people will be pissed and they are very considerate. It was the L.A. Times that kind of charged into this mess, yeah. Really, and I think they were the first out with that with it in the headline on the tweet. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other thing I will say is, as someone who has been on the side of like publishing a story live that is supposed to like be timed to yeah whether like an episode event or something some people's i don't know what any of the other people's content management systems look like but like there are little things built into publishing tools that are like auto tweets or like yeah, whatever yeah. and like it would not surprise me if the story behind that is that they set the story <laughs> live but accidentally like had the social media push go out at the same right, time right. and like that's well, still bad. That's still bad. It's you're still bad. You're it's, still on Apple News or you're still at the LA Times totally. homepage and you're seeing it, you know. Totally. But, I yeah. just I sympathize with social media managers. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me say one last thing before people start writing in, okay? I know people <laughs> I know people have different approaches to spoilers. Some people are like, "Well, it, I don't I can't be spoiled because um even if you give away the ending, I can still enjoy the work." Yes, I get it. Good, good for you. Good job. Okay, that's me. You should, I, I yeah, that's, don't like. I I that, truly don't mind spoilers, but I also fine. know that that's a very personal, like that's a me thing. So I would that's never assume that's that everybody else is the it same. It is a very yeah. personal thing, yeah. and all we ask is that you give people the choice of whether yeah. or not they can be spoiled. But when you're putting shit in headlines, they no longer have that choice. So yep. that's um that is the point that i'm making okay i'm not saying i'm not saying no one should ever be exposed to any sport you know like i'm just saying give people the choice yeah i david chen try to give people the choice in everything that i do yeah um and i hope that people have that courtesy too but they don't okay let's get into the episode kim renfro i feel i feel better now do you feel better or are are you now are you now really hyped up did we just excise some i'm fine i'm fine (laughs) It's, I, you know, here's the thing. The thing that's thing uh, that's odd about it, Kim, I didn't even get spoiled on it, right? Like, I didn't get spoiled <laughs> on the episode. Um, but I feel angry on other people's behalf. Like, totally. That's how I feel. Like, 
I didn't get spoiled. I watched it at yeah. 6.01 p.m. I was pressing play on Succession. So yeah, I, I watched it along with everyone else. But I, I'm I'm sad that people's experience was like ruined. I also yeah. saw like, uh, it was funny to see the the breadth of how people's experience would be ruined. Like it was um podcast episode title in the in the mm. podcast app you know it was um it was a hollywood reporter push notification you know like all these various ways that people's experience get gets ruined is is a huge bummer to me yeah why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, but let's get into season four, episode four, Kim Renfro. Honeymoon States, season four, episode four, Succession, Honeymoon States, I was just talking last week about how some of the titles are mixed in terms of their success. Last week, I thought was very good. Connor's wedding, very Great. subtle. Uh, Honeymoon States, I also think is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's re- referring to many things. Uh, the sarcastic comment from Willa about which states they're going to after their marriage, but potentially also people's state after the big dog is gone uh, and uh, and the opportunity that that may create for some people. So season four, episode four, uh, before we even talk about the show, I think there were a couple of pre-show, pre-episode notes you wanted to to mention, right, Kim? I just wanted to flag that I was really excited when I saw uh, Lorraine Scafaria's name pop up as the director of this episode. Um, she's one of my favorite working directors right now. She did Hustlers. Hustlers, um, incredible movie. That was one of my top 10 movies of that year. Incredible. Incredible and very... I think there's a lot, there's a little Venn diagram of like hustlers and succession in the way mm-hmm. that Lorraine captures this like human aspect of these sort of headline stories that we hear about Wall Street bankers or about sex workers and like et cetera. And hustlers just like really nailed that drama comedy tone perfectly. And I think that that translates well into her work on succession. So. I was also really excited to uh, see her in this episode. Um, and yeah, this episode mostly happens in one location, mostly in real time. It's the day after Logan's death. His family and many Waystar executives have gathered at his palatial apartment in New York to decide who will be the interim CEO. Uh, we visit each character, kind of see how they're processing Logan's death. And yeah, it, feel, it feels like the episode takes place over the course of, of several hours. Um, so let's start with overall thoughts on the episode. Ken Renfro, what do you think of this episode? I thought it was a much needed like processing moment. I appreciated that they kind of just started us off the early morning hours of what I assume is the exact day after Logan died. And then, yeah, I 
the the fact that it's all in one location, the fact that it's taking place like mostly in real time, um, it was both exciting. Like the pace was, I was like very kind of on the edge of my seat to see like where everyone's strategies was going to go. But I also thought it gave a lot of little breathing room moments that I really appreciated. I didn't cry. <laughs> so <laughs> take, take from that what you will. <laughs> I like this episode a lot. I mean, in the last episode of this podcast, we discussed how uh, what we thought might be the end game of the show. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode basically establishes that that's what we discuss is going to be the end game of the show. Um, for I, I want to start by saying I think that it is pretty clear to me from this episode and we'll see if I'm right or, or not. Um, but that all the kids are going to end up betraying each other and it's all going to mm. end terribly for them. Like, I, I know you had some wishes that they would be reunited and stay strong, but I this still, ep- I'm still clinging on. <laughs> I, I think there's after this episode, there is no doubt in my mind that <sighs> this will end with like, come on, Kim, like <laughs> this is, this is the clearest the show has ever been in terms of foreshadowing, right? Like, they they are their relationship is completely screwed in my opinion and it's 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 it is telegraphed in a way that Logan's death was not telegraphed in my mm, opinion, right? like mm-hmm. Logan's death was like a complete surprise but the show is basically saying hey we are setting these kids up to fail at you know loving each other that's kind of what i feel and so yeah. i do feel like we have clarity as to what the end game is uh what i really liked about the episode is how it shows the variety of ways in which they're, you know, last episode we got to see the variety of ways in which people process like an emergency event. Yeah. Like Logan's death. And this episode, we got to see the variety of different ways in in which people process the aftermath of Logan's death. And each of the kids is handling it differently. And I think that feels very true to life. When someone dies in real life, it's not like all the family members, it doesn't hit them all the same way. Totally. And and I like that you have that variety here. Um, Of course, a lot of... Uh, a handful of really amazing succession moments as well. So overall, big fan of the episode. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about some of the smaller side characters and their fates. And then we're going to talk about, obviously, the kind of big stuff that happens this episode. That involves Frank, Carl, and Jerry. Specifically, it involves, of course, the three Roy children. And then we'll end with our uh, favorite quotes as usual. So let's talk about some of the side characters in this episode. Uh, first of all, I was shocked. Oh, actually, before we even get to the side characters, I, I want to mention, um, you know, I was I was thinking maybe we should have talked about this before Kim Renfro. Uh, a lot of people were speculating that Shiv Roy was pregnant. And I was like, yeah. maybe we should talk about this on the podcast, but like, whatever. Uh, and of course, it turns out, we find out at the beginning of this episode that Shiv Roy is pregnant. Um, and many people saw this coming. Uh, I'm going to read from an article from Stylecaster. This is published on April 3rd. So at, by the time you're listening to this, like two weeks ago, some someone at Style, um, Sophie Hansen at Stylecaster published this article. Uh, and he, she writes, quote, is Shiv pregnant in succession? Uh, we can't know for sure yet, but there have been some moments in season four that fans have been talking about. In episode two, rehearsal, it's the night of Connor and Mula's rehearsal dinner ahead of the wedding they've been planning. The Roy siblings decide to go to karaoke to celebrate, but of course, a bit of Dutch courage is required. When the kids order drinks at a bar, Shiv jokes about ordering a house red, do I dare, before sticking to a non-alcoholic club soda with a sealed lid, nothing from that tainted nozzle. 
end quote. Um, let's see. In the two-part season three finale, Shiv's mom, Caroline Collingwood, insinuated, insinuated to her daughter that she'd be a bad mom, which leads her to go home and have spiteful sex with her husband. The next morning, the couple discuss their future futility plans and what to do, what they do with Shiv's frozen eggs. When Tom betrays Shiv in the closing episode of season three by tipping, tipping Logan off, her hand trails down to her stomach, end quote. Mm. Um, so those are a few kind of the signs that people have been talking about. Uh, Reddit has been speculating wildly that Shiv is pregnant. And this episode, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I saw on Reddit that someone was like, that's why Mondale didn't recognize her scent. Uh, mm, yes, I, okay. I did not do any further scientific research <laughs> into, into whether that's a real thing. But yes, mm-hmm. the Redditors are on the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways. One of, the yeah. things that's, one of the things that's challenging about the show, I think, is um, not the show doesn't do a very good job of explaining how much time has passed between things. Mm. And so it's unclear to me, like whose child is my, my guess is it's, I don't think we, she's had sex with other people as far as we can tell. Yeah. Um, So my guess is it's Tom's child. They Uh, also, they, the, the doctor on the phone says that her next appointment will be a 20 week scan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not clear if she's like, if this is 16 weeks, like, is she still in the first trimester? Is she close to that 20-week scan, which means that she would be in her second trimester? Yeah, the timing, like, I have questions. I have timing questions. Yeah. And I don't see, I don't see a reason to believe that it's not Tom's baby. Right. And, and narratively, it would be weird if it was just some other character we haven't met. You know what I mean? Like, right. Especially because it, it seems to be, it seems to be a very specific charge behind all of her interactions that she has with Tom in this mm-hmm, episode. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't make they, those, the way that she is engaging with Tom in this episode wouldn't make as much sense to me if that, if she didn't think that it's his baby. Hmm. Okay. I want to hear more about that when we get to okay. that point, but, uh, <laughs> but suffice to say the internet called it, and we should have mentioned it here on the podcast, but uh, but it's also I, I do want to just call out that I think um, my understanding I, I read this online um, I should have dug down to the actual source of this, but my understanding was uh, that uh, the character the actor Sarah Snook is like uh, she would, is pregnant would, right now, right? She's pregnant right now, but also like. Um, the show would sometimes give her body image issues, if I recall correctly, and like oh. she was trying not to like um beat herself up to to stay in shape during the show, you know, because she's like I, I just need to like put my health and my mental you know uh, health first, yeah. Uh, and so it's given that you know, and I, I just assume any actor is going through something like that. I try not to comment on an actor's physical body. appearance, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like that that generally is not a good. Right. That being said, as people pointed out, there have been other clues as well. So, but it's it's kind of why I try to stay away from that topic in general. I'm just pointing out. So I kind of I was seeing it in her costuming. Like once mm-hmm. I kind of heard that theory, then I like in Connor's wedding, I was like, oh, she's wearing these like like suits with like dark like dark layered clothing a lot mm-hmm. more often. Even in mm-hmm. the first episode, like she was in something much more like flowy and like um suit like and so i think that that like it totally makes sense that the costuming is designed around like what shiv might be feeling right now and i think that that makes a difference in her appearance because her as we've talked about her physical 
her costuming, her hair, everything has shifted drastically over like season one. So I think anytime that Shiv is like testing out a, a somewhat newish look, I pay attention. And yeah, she's been in a lot of like turtlenecks, layered suits lately mm-hmm. um, in a way that make her like physical form less defined. Whereas if you go back yeah. to like season three, she was wearing a lot of like tightly fitted dresses. Um, mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. looks fucking amazing. Yeah. Sarah Snook yeah. is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I, I am I am right about that. I did a quick Google search and I am right about it. She has talked about that in the past as mm-hmm. like, you know. And so I don't want to, she has talked about body image issues in the past and I would never want anything we do on the podcast to like add to that. Contribute to that, of course. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Marsha and Carrie. I was surprised, I was shocked, Kim Renfro, to see Hayab Abbas in the opening credits of this episode. Uh, and I was She's like, oh my back. gosh, Marsha's back? What? Anyway, uh, beginning of the episode, we uh, Kendall is shocked to see her, and he, he has this quote where he says he's trying to ask her. He's like, "Where have you? Uh, when? Did, you know, he, 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 like the end of the sentence is going to be, where have you been?' Or you know, what's been going on?' But yeah, he said, you know, instead he's like, "What? Um, uh, when did you get in?" And she says that uh, she's had daily intimate calls with Logan, uh, and that they have been. They spoke like every day and every night, and it's complicated, but they were very intimate, intimate conversations. Um, so yeah, uh, later on, there's a scene where Carrie comes in, she's completely distraught, and she wants to see her stuff, uh, and she wants to get her stuff or wants to see Logan's room, and Marsha forbids it and hands her all of her stuff in a bag. and coldly tells her that she can go back to her little apartment and mourn there instead. Um, Roman tries to help Carrie uh, in a way that I think is a little bit foreshadowing. We could talk about that, but yeah, mm. uh, Marsha's back. And I'm just curious what you thought about Marsha's return and, and, and her dynamic with the other characters this episode. I was very happy to see her back. I think that it would have been a waste if her character truly just like faded yeah. away yeah. In, in the manner that she had. So yeah, very stoked that she's actually being a considered player in the game once again of like who wins all the money and power um right away i was skeptical of the way that she was talking to kendall like it just totally rang to me of like i'm making sure i tell everyone as quickly as possible that me and logan spoke every day in case anyone wants to doubt like the status of our marriage Mm -hmm. um because it seems we've talked about this before but they seem to have come to a mutual agreement to like remain married and then, but like live their lives separately and Marsha gets as much money and vacations and shopping as she wants. So yeah, flags immediately went up and then they just stayed up and maybe more kept adding to them as the episode went on because I'm like, of course I understand not wanting to like comfort your husband's mistress right after he died. But also Marsha, you like clearly are also in a transactional relationship or you were in a transactional relationship with Logan. So like, do you need to be that cruel to a person who's just like clearly freaking out? Yeah. I I think Marcia's interactions with others have been really interesting because I I think she doesn't, what's interesting is the level of self delusion. She doesn't see herself that way. There's this moment where she talks to Willa and she says, look how far you've come. And then Willa says, look how far we've both come, you know, but that's not the way Marsha frames it. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't say, look how far we've both come because she sees herself as like different than the other people that Logan has been with. 
Uh, and and I do think it's a window into self-delusion. Also, kind of a whole Solomon cutting the baby in half moment. You know, mm. are you familiar with the, the story of Solomon, right? I believe so, but remind half? me. Okay, so in the Bible, um, Solomon is this wise king, and these two, you know, these two women are like, hey, this kid's mine, and Solomon right. needs to adjudicate. So he says, we'll cut the baby in half. And we'll give half of it to you and we'll give half of it to the other woman. And then one of the women says, no, please, like the other woman can have the baby, you know, or the child. And Solomon and that's says, the true mother. that's the true mother, because <laughs> she would not want something terrible to happen to the child. Right. Um, and why am I bringing that up? Not a perfect analogy, yeah, but I think who's the baby. There's no baby. There's no baby <laughs> here. But the reason the reason I bring it up is because um, between Carrie and Marsha, who is the more upset about Logan's death? Mm-hmm. I don't even think Marsha cries during this whole episode. Carrie is no. completely distraught, right? Yeah. So it's clear that even though Marsha has the power, um, Carrie is the one that really had the relationship with with Logan, at least at this stage in his life. Yeah. So yeah, and I think there was I saw a lot of like speculation after last week's episode about like was Carrie actually with Logan when he died? Were they like having sex in the bathroom? Like, is she yeah. carrying some sort of like guilt of responsibility for his death? Um, and or does she is she like doing a weird performative grief thing for the sake of power? But I think that this scene made me believe that she truly just is still in shock and had deluded herself again, a window of self-delusion, deluded herself into thinking that she was a more important person to Logan than she really was at the end of the day. And she's like having trouble accepting that, like, without him, she has no access or power in this situation anymore. There are a few things to that theory I would just want to mention. You know, my, my co-host on the film cast brought up this theory of uh, maybe Carrie and Logan were having sex when he died. And the reason that theory makes the most sense for some things is that Carrie looked so weird and shocked and shaken when he died. Like, it would make sense for someone who was having sex with someone who died to have that reaction, right? Because she was acting so weird in the episode. I don't think it makes sense um for a couple now like looking back on it i don't think it makes sense for a couple reasons first of all uh logan has a bedroom in the plane uh and so he's not yeah, the why of, would they be in the he doesn't bathroom? seem like the kind of guy who would want to logan doesn't seem like the bathroom sex kind of guy especially if there's a bedroom <laughs> right there so let's just start with that second thing is uh the details that tom provides in this episode about mm. uh logan's end state do seem to indicate that he had really intimate knowledge of what Logan was doing when he died. Fishing a phone out of a clogged toilet is the words that he used, I believe. So I don't think Tom would just make up that detail. Um, but on, on the, on the pro carry side, you know, Logan apparently wasn't wearing his compression, compression socks. socks to try to impress carry. So it's like uh, maybe that, like that theoretically could have ca- created some problems um, yeah. for him. I know, also, as somebody, I know as somebody who has had a blood clot uh, in my arm in the last couple of years. Scary. Uh, the compression is is important. Yeah. And so uh, trying it's it is interesting that like by trying to impress Carrie because compression socks. Let me just put this out there. They're not they're sexy. not attract. They're not attractive, right? <laughs> when you see someone wearing compression socks, most people are not turned on. Uh, and so when you when you're wearing them. Uh, he, you know, if he's not wearing them, he's trying to impress Carrie, and maybe that led to his death. That would be like a really kind of tragic ending for that character. I think. Mm. So, and you know what? This probably has nothing to do with anything, but I will note 
that at the end of episode two, when we saw Logan flashing some ankle to Rome, I was like, absolutely not. I don't need that much leg from wow. Logan Roy. And so if he was trying to ditch those compression socks for Carrie, no, I did not like that. <laughs> wow. wow. Kim, this is like the third time Kim has gone out, like gone gone against Logan's ankles. It just you know, like... It's really- it felt like a very Victorian like power move of mm-hmm. like I'm mm-hmm. so relaxed in my luxurious home. Look at me in my slippers and my robe, like vibe that I, ugh. yeah. And also, thank you for bringing up that there was a bedroom in that plane because I don't think I talked about that last episode. And mm-hmm. like that was something where I was genuinely like, th- I I keep forgetting how rich people <laughs> live. Like I'm mm-hmm. sorry, there is a full what looks like a minimum queen size yes. bed. And I just, I just did a like 11 hour flight recently and I looked up the price for one of those like little baby lay down beds, Mm $11,000 they wanted me to pay to lay down on a tiny bed on a plane for 11 hours. And Logan Roy just has a full bedroom where he can, yeah, have sex, take a nap, do whatever he wants on his way to Sweden. Indeed. All right. There's some Tom and Greg material here in this episode. Uh, Mostly Tom trying to make himself, trying to ingratiate himself with literally every single character that's left because he knows he's in a terrible situation. I love the interaction between all the Waystar Royco executives uh, (laughs) where they're they're looking at the China and Tom tries to throw himself in the ring, throw his hat in the ring to be the next CEO. He's like, hey, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, you know, just as a, uh, I'm ready to be a service. Yeah. You ever see the John Wick movies, Kim Renfro? Uh-huh. Uh, there is a line that they say to kind of the, the high table elders or whatever. Uh, it is, I will serve. I will be of service. Mm. Uh, that's what that's kind of the line they say before they go and kill a bunch of people. Uh, it felt like Tom was trying to ingratiate himself at the high table by saying, you know. I, I will serve. I will be, yeah. I will serve. I will be of service. I'll, uh, wherever you want me to be. I'm here, I'm um, here to serve. It's so, Yeah. The only, that is the only resemblance that Tom has to anyone in John Wick. But uh, there is a great line where all these executives are gathered and they're all like sniping at each other. Loved all the sniping. You know, um, literally everything they say is barb, a, uh, barb, a barb, barb. You know, <laughs> Jerry saying, hey, Carl, I have so much respect for you. What you did with cable in the 90s, it was legendary. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the so most good. backhanded compliment you can have of like, you're fucking old, man. <laughs> um, but uh, Carl's, you know, does the coup de gras, right? He's, mm-hmm. He says to Tom, "Hey, uh, Tom, if you were to be CEO, I'm just going to say this as a as a friend, okay? Like, here's what someone might say: quote The negative case would be that you're a clumsy interlo- interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead, and now you're just married to the ex boss's daughter, and she doesn't even like you, and you are fair and squarely fucked." End quote. <laughs> And that seems to Carl. overwhelm. That seems to overwhelm Tom. With a, he's like Jesus Christ, you know. Um, it but is Tom true. Also, Tom yeah. cannot. Ca- Tom cannot process when people actually just directly tell him the reality <laughs> of his state. Like Logan told him, well, not to his face, but he was standing right there. Like he was standing there when Logan told Shiv, "You are marrying a man fathoms, fathoms beneath, beneath you." you. Yeah. Because you know he won't betray you, or like, come on, Tom. <laughs> he can't. He can't 
he can't accept it. He well, keeps he keeps fighting. What's great about it is that the show has demonstrated to us many times that Tom is incompetent. You know? Yeah, and he uh, he is not an inspiring leader. He doesn't have any discernible skills. He is merely there because um, of his familial relationships, and so everything Carl says is true. Yeah, and it it is true to that character. So, uh. Tom tries to say to Kendall, hey, all that stuff I said about Logan being never being fucked and you being fucked all the time, you know, let's water under the bridge. Kendall says, I like you. Remember, I gave you, you I gave that whole nailed speech. nailed that. Mm, mm. Nailed it. A few episodes ago, I talked about how I like you is code in succession. And Kendall says, I like you. Good luck. Uh, and so it's code for basically, I'm trying to emotionally disarm you, but I see you as beneath me, right? That's, yeah. that's That is what uh, I like you is. I think um, I loved that so much in this episode too because and I know we we'll might we might get to it more specifically later but like the way that the siblings specifically talk about coded language used to describe Logan and all of his obituaries. Yeah. And then throughout the episode we see we see so many codes that aren't translated directly for us but we can pretty much infer and you already did that with the I like you. Good luck. Is is like the it's the bless your heart of succession kind of thing. Uh, the higher you get up into the corporate world, the more esoteric the code words become, you know, and mm -hmm. the more indiscernible from reality it is. Uh, but a, a really neat key for translating it is something my wife said is, uh, these people are so rich that they cannot be told no. Hmm. So instead they just get a bunch of word salad and then they need to then figure out that they just were told the answer no. Mm. Um, one good example of that would be Carrie in last episode where she's like, oh, do you want me to work on the statement with you? No one says no, but they're, they're saying no. They're saying, hey, go back there and rest your head and da, 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 and we'll come get you. You know, so the answer is no, but no right. one says no. No one says no at this level. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a big watch what they do, not what they say world. Uh, there is a scene where Tom goes to Shiv and tries to reconnect with her. He kind of tries to reconnect with each of the Roy children, right? He's like, yeah, says to Kendall, water under the bridge. He says to Roman, hey, Roman, you're the one that should be in charge. And I would back you. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says to Shiv, he tries to remind her of, of some nice times they spent together. Yes, Tom is a ladder climbing lamprey on the <laughs> barnacle on the base of the Roy Waystar Royco ship, but I actually think he was being genuine in the conversation with Shiv. Like, I know people disagreed with me last week on the podcast as well, but I thought Tom was actually. It is possible for people to be genuinely nice, even though they are bad people overall. You know, uh, yeah, people aren't just, just one. People aren't just one thing. Is yeah. kind of the point, and I think that's what Succession shows over and over again. Yeah, so, or yeah. at the very least. Maybe if it's not like genuine kindness, it's definitely earnest. It's like earnest communication, which mm -hmm. not a lot of the characters do. Like he is genuinely trying to for to like connect with her about something and to try and to like he's I think trying to make her feel better, but as we've just said, Tom's incompetent at many things, including comforting Shiv in the way that she would prefer to be comforted in this moment, you know? Like she doesn't want to get gooey eyes from her husband that she's separated from and potentially pregnant with his baby with a pregnancy that she does not seem excited about 
we should note. Like a lot of her physical cues towards him are not signaling like, oh, maybe part of me's happy that I'm pregnant. It's mm-hmm. it's very much like, do not touch me. Don't be nice to me right now. Yeah. Like, I don't want that side of you. So yeah, it's just, that was painful. And also just Matthew McFadden. Uh, I don't know, how many times have you seen Pride and Prejudice directed by Joe Wright featuring Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden? 0.3. You should watch that movie, although I you will never be able to look at Tom Wamsgams the yeah. same. But yeah. sometimes he sometimes he turns on what I call the Mr. Darcy eyes. Mm-hmm. Like he knows how to make his face look like I am so in love with you and I'm just trying to be nice to you and can't we remember the good times? Like he's very good at that. Uh and I think that that's what people pick up on when they when they see that sort of like kindness coming out of Tom. It's like he's turning on some sort of charm juice that that works. What do you think Shiv is feeling at the time? Because I think she can't let go of the betrayal, right? She can't let go of the fact that Tom has betrayed her. Yeah. Uh, and once that created a rift in their relationship, you know, things start to spiral even further, basically. So... Yeah, yeah, I also just think Shiv has always had a very complicated relationship with her mother and with the idea of motherhood. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. the only woman. She's the only woman. She's <laughs> the only woman um, in this nuclear family system, really. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that she's, to me, everything that I was getting out of Sarah Snook's performance in this episode was like that that very complicated relationship that some women have with the idea that you are supposed to feel a certain way about getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, Or Mm -hmm. that again, back to the shoulds, like the way that like the doctor's tone is like, this is all happy news and like whatever kind of like transcripting that like, Oh, we're having an exciting conversation about your pregnancy. That's not how all women feel when they're pregnant in the first trimester. Sure, sure. To be fair, her dad also just died, you know, and I think there was some awkwardness there as well, but totally. I I think that, I think that it's all wrapped up in like her inability to express emotions or find someone to actually talk to about in this moment. She doesn't talk to her brothers. And again, to your point of like this episode's transcripting how they're going to break apart, like the fact that she's holding this massive secret um, on a day when she has a lot of people around her who are saying like, I love you. I want to stick together. Let's talk to each other. But like, she's really having trouble making herself vulnerable any further than she already is. Well, that's the Tom and Greg stuff. You know, Greg is, is a dope uh, this episode and tries to... Uh, I do think this is the show saying... There's a moment when Greg says, oh, Logan wrote my name down, so that means I'm supposed to be the number two, you know? And Frank started cackling like uncontrollably. And yeah. I do wonder if that's the show definitively taking Greg off the table mm. as a possible successor, or if it's saying wow, wouldn't it be funny if he did, you know, was the successor because no one would have seen it coming. Um, I I do think that it's very unlikely that Greg would be the success. It's possible that, you know, what what is a possibility is uh, Waystar Royco, the deal like doesn't complete next episode. Waystar Royco shatters into like 18 pieces and Greg is in charge of one of them. Like that's that's yeah. a possibility, I think. Sure. Parts. But it's hard Yeah, but it's hard for me to that's right. But it's hard for me to imagine him being number one on top of whatever 
final Waystar Royco Gojo entity will result. Like that just doesn't seem in yeah. the realm of possibility right now. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm I'm losing confidence in <laughs> in my cousin Greg theory with every week because he really is not doing a good job of navigating yeah. any of the situations that he's found himself in. To be fair, it's not like I don't think it was a super serious theory that we had. It was just no, it would be a but, very fun chaotic choice for the show to make. I think is kind of what we would. And say, I think right? may, yeah, maybe theory is too strong of a word, but like I genuinely saw a path there. I yes. was like depending on right. what happens in Certainly. the season, I could Certainly. see a path. And I think that at this point, I'm I'm not seeing that path because as you're as you're saying, there are now in universe people who are like very much losing the Greg confidence, including Tom. Right, like yeah. their relationship is very fractious right now. And if Greg was ever going to be able to continue ascending, he needs at least one ally. And now he's now he's clinging to Marsha. So it's like we'll see how that goes. I did want to call out the Frank Carl Jerry interactions. Uh, it's really fun to see them interact in a context that's not with the, any of the Roy's. Yeah, um, I think we saw a little bit of that in season two, maybe, but it's we get a rare glimpse of what their interactions are like, and that was delightful. Uh, we mentioned the scene earlier with Carl laying it out for Tom how terrible of a situation he's in, but I did think that there was a telling moment when Carl was saying how, "Hey, maybe we say that the existing Roy kids are." Dot, dot, dot. And then Tom says dipshits and fuck ups or screw ups, you know, like Tom chimes in with the thing. And because even Carl is not going to say speak ill of any of the children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But Tom said, is willing to. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was another one of my favorite, like, corporate speaks or whatever. Maybe not constitutionally well equipped yes. at this point to take on the role. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a way to say they're all dipshits and yeah, screw-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they discover a cryptic document that Logan has left behind in his safe uh, where he seems to have made some notes of his wishes, but he didn't tell his lawyer about it, and so it's unclear what he actually wanted. The scene when Frank and Carl discover the note is really amazing. Uh, again, every sentence they are speaking is some kind of code in that in that situation where Mm -hmm. uh, carl says how long have you how how long have you had this and and frank says i haven't been able to even start thinking about it until you were here you know like (laughs) i didn't even want to think about it until you were thinking about it right exactly because it's not like there's no situation where my involvement in this predated your involvement in this um and uh, i love how it's like well what if uh we it just got lost i'm joking of course you yeah, uh, you're, um, you're speculating in a, in in a humorous <laughs> in a humorous mode, and he's like in a comedic vein, you know, like because and then, then in the future on a witness stand, someone yes. could say, "Oh, that was just a joke." Yes, like oh, I was just he joking. said it. In, he said it in a joking tone. In, we, in, a, in a comic vein, yeah. <laughs> we said we actually told each other right then that yeah, that yeah. we were talking in a comic mode. Yeah, and I think Jerry so says something funny. like Jerry says something like, "Yeah." Um, well, that's a very funny joke, you know, like, and <laughs> they all, they all know the things they need to say to, for it to be legally, not unimpeachable, but certainly legally complicated. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I also, this was so far, I think I have three episodes of succession out of the four where I've learned a new vocabulary word. And today it was germane because mm, I was nice. like, I wanted to make sure I knew what that meant because I think Jerry's usually very right about things. And yes. so, yeah. The fact that it means it's not relevant or appropriate. I was like, okay, yeah. 
That's a solid word for that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It, it's just vague enough of a word to bring in doubt. And then you bring the kids in and all hell really breaks loose. You do get a sense of, again, I, I referenced this last week, but how difficult these people's lives are. You know, how annoying their lives have to be to work for these kids who are brats. Uh, and they have, these people have their own wants and needs too, Kim. Carl has a, is like going in on a Greek Island or something with his, with his half brother or something along those lines. They have, uh, they have wants of tens of millions of dollars. They have needs, you know, they're debating who should be the CEO and Carl's like, it should be me. You know, um, he needs that golden parachute. So, uh, it's just interesting to get a glimpse into, uh, into their life. And there is a moment when, when Carl's is like, I'm not going to have these princes ruin this situation for me. Uh, which I thought was very telling. All right. But let's talk about the three kids. Let's talk about the main event of the episode. We already talked about Shiv getting pregnant. We follow Kendall as he arrives to Logan Mansion, Logan's Mansion across from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the Upper East Side. Love a good Kendall walking into a building looking sullen with sunglasses on scene. While getting sh- photographed by... Yeah, the show has had many of them, and he always looks like he is very tortured, and he did a great job. Uh, Kendall walks past Hugo, who's on the phone, saying... Uh, you know you fucked me. What you've done, Juliet, is you've taken a strap on and fucked me in the ass, right? Call me, please. End quote. Hmm, I wonder what that's all about. Later, we find out that Hugo's daughter has engaged in insider trading. Uh, and I actually really appreciated that interaction where Kendall asks Hugo, like, you know, what what are the phone records going to show? He already knows, like, in the... Le- what the evidence is going to be. At the trial, like, what is going to happen, right? And... This is a very serious, the insider trading is very serious. You can get in big trouble for it. Um, I think I might have shared, I don't know if I shared with you. I probably, I talked about it in last episode, last season of Succession. But when I was at Microsoft, one of the training videos they played was this guy who did, who got in trouble for insider trading. And he actually went back to Microsoft and did a training video and was basically like, I sold some stock uh, before I was supposed to, or I bought some stock before I was supposed to. And I had to go to jail for some number of years and it completely ruined my life don't buy and sell stock based on information that you know, you know, like, and it was very vivid and frightening. It's like, yeah, don't, don't ever do that. It's, it can ruin your, your, your life will be completely different. Um, so. Yeah, that is, I, I, yeah, that the, the conversation where Hugo reveals that to Kendall was so good and really telegraphed a lot in terms of Kendall, Kendall remembering that sense of power that he can have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you're talking the f- about the, the last conversation or the, the middle of the episode conversation, the middle of the episode conversation yeah. when Hugo first, like kind of like confides in Kendall as if like, Hey, I just need some help sorting this out. And like the way that Kendall snaps into like, I know exactly what to do here. I know what not to say yeah. to this idiot slips that little thing into his pocket. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then it comes right back around at the end of the episode, and you're like, "Woof, okay, there he goes." There's- well, Ke- Ke- Kendall also say, or uh, Kendall also saying, "Hey, what are the phone records going to show? Did you make a call to your your daughter?" And he's like, "I don't recollect." Yeah, um, which is you know great, great covering your ass. I just served on a jury last year, yeah, and I was fascinated by how many people got up on that witness stand and just said like, "I don't remember that three hour meeting at all. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about it." And I was yeah. like, it's so obviously a like, <laughs> eh, 
I just don't remember. It is the sa- it is the safest thing to say. Yeah. Because no one can prove whether you remember or not. So it's like the say it's giving no information and it's completely legally defensible thing. Yeah. Um to say. So Yeah. If you're ever on the witness stand and you or your family member might get in trouble, I don't <laughs> the words to say are I don't have any recollection. Uh all right. Unless of course that's a lie, in which case don't prove yourself. <laughs> um I am not a lawyer. This podcast is not constitute legal <laughs> advice. The kids do a lot of bonding. You referenced a scene earlier where they read from the newspaper and uh, they talk about what the newspaper says versus what it really means. That's very, very funny. Um, there's a few scenes like that. Connor offers Marsha $63 million to buy Logan's house because he wants to save on real estate broker fees and because it's hard to get in on these buildings. Matson calls Roman. Uh, they try to get their ducks in a row. They call back, but Matson doesn't answer. It's kind of embarrassing. It's like it's a, it's a tough phone call. You know, there's a whole there's a whole politics over who is waiting for who on the phone. You know? I know when the president calls, it's not the president calling. It's their person, and they say, "Hey, right. it's the president on the phone. Are you ready? Please hold for the president." Like the president does not hold, right? Yeah. So who is holding is the person who has less power in the situation. Yeah. Uh, and so for them to kind of be fumbling around trying to get Matt's on the phone is very, very undignified. Very. Um, yeah. yeah. But I did like that Roman didn't just answer the call. I, yeah. I, I like the little it's becoming a little routine of the siblings where they do like the take five, like we do five minutes. And I'm like, yeah. oh, they're. They're getting together again. They're like, they're yeah, collaborating. I mean, you, you say that, Kim, but that's what led to this being a fucked situation. So I think that's like, true. I, I think, I think it's what, what that dynamic is showing is that they are not a functional, that is not a mm. functional arrangement. And I think we already start to see it fracture by the end of the episode. You know, I think it's not a functional but arrangement, yes, it's cute, but it's cute. It's cute. I, I think it's not a functional arrangement when they're actually trying to do business together. But again, mm-hmm. me over here in the feelings corner, I'm always like thinking about like, when are the times that they're actually choosing to mm-hmm. work together or like to try to work together instead of doing what they've typically done, which is go silo themselves off. And unfortunately, yes, by the end of the episode, they each seem siloed again, mm-hmm. which is a bummer. But I love this scene because it showed a little bonding. We got like, some solid sibling bonding moments. Um, and I loved Roman's thing, like them going through, like, how do you all feel? And Kendall kind of being like floating therapy, very like gently yeah. to everyone. Like I had a talk. It actually really helps. Like I, and uh, for the Ro- record, for the record, uh, I, I think I speak for both Kim and myself when I say uh, therapy is a very, if you can afford it, it's a very meaningful experience, and don't let anyone on Succession talk you out of it. No. Um, so, and also, don't think that you're going to get Kendall's one a.m. probably like two thousand dollar an hour <laughs> uh, grief yeah. expert. Yeah. But yeah. yes, I have found therapy incredibly helpful, and especially with things like grief, I think it's very easy to just not verbalize what you're going through. And to me, like the the best thing to do is to just talk about it with at least someone, whether it's a therapist or like a friend or a a person. But yeah, thoughts have a way of like 
metastasizing when you just leave them inside your head as yeah. opposed to just getting it out. But I think n- none of this, this is both a dynamic of these siblings, but also a dynamic of people in power mm-hmm. that I think there is the perception that um, therapy conveys some kind of weakness. Yeah. And that's why, that's why they can't treat it seriously explicitly. Yeah. Um, this is also why Tony Soprano seeing therapy was such a big deal. Uh, you know, when that was a thing is like the idea of a mafia boss, you know, needing, needing this thing that conveys weaknesses would be seen as very, was seen as very upsetting to many people, you know, mm-hmm. in both the worlds. So, yeah. Um, okay. So the big thing that happens is they go and they discover this, Jerry, Carl, and Frank decide they're going to reveal this information to the siblings. They're not going to uh, try to hide it or flush it down the toilet. They're going to yeah. actually tell them. Uh, I think it seems to me the calculation is made because legally it's not really enforceable. And also um, uh, the family doesn't have majority board control anymore. You know, so it's like it, it wouldn't necessarily impact them that much anyway. Um that being said, it does clearly have some impact on the events. I also wonder if they knew that it would divide the siblings. Mm. They were definitely very wary of having all three of them against being, the Gojo uh, deal. Yeah. 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 Uh, here's the big question, Kim Renfro is do you think Logan was trying to underline Kendall Roy or was he <laughs> trying to cross out Kendall Roy? Uh, they show a close up of the piece of the document at the end of the episode I, I have. and it is really well done because it is done in such a way that is very ambiguous and the the pen stroke clearly starts as Under. an underline and then by the end of the word roy it is a cross out it is like through the word roy like middle of the word roy and i am curious if you have an opinion on whether it was an underline or a cross out I'm leaning towards underline Mm. given where it starts and the fact that it's not like he replaced, he didn't cross it out and write something Mm -hmm. else. Yeah. 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 And if the point was to like convey a decision, but I don't know. It it is, it, I agree. It is so perfectly done. Yeah. It's really well done. I can't, I can't tell, but I don't well, know. well, Kim, I'm going to be a, a raging asshole and tell you what my, opinion, what my opinion is, uh, which is to say you're not supposed to be able to tell. And yeah. also, that is the point of the episode yeah. in, in the sense that this episode is about trying to make sense of someone's wishes who mm. didn't convey them in any clear form and how chaotic and ambiguous and unsettling that whole process is. And am I making the right choice? And am I making the right decision? And is that what they would have wanted and mm-hmm. trying to live with that? Uh, so the uncertainty is a feature, not a bug. I know that's not a revelatory observation, no, but, uh, but yeah, it's a fundamental exercise to try to think like, what did he really think? Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and okay. Putting aside the completely asshole response. I do think, because I was the one that set you up for the question in the first place. Um, I lean towards underline as well, just because of where it started. You know? Um, if, it's, if I was if, trying to cross out my heir's name. Yeah. If it was a, if it, but if it was a few, if it was like a millimeter higher, 
in terms of where that pen stroke started, I would feel maybe different. But it starts out as an underline and maybe, you know, yeah, but it's tough, man. It's tough. Whoever yeah. props props to the props department. Yeah. <laughs> whoever whoever did that repeatedly on copies of this paper until it looked perfectly ambiguous. Uh indeed. Way indeed. to go. Uh, there's a few other things that happen in the episode. We see a Stephen Root's character gives a speech about Logan Roy, which Connor says is inaccurate, but whatever. Um, Jared Menken shows up. They have uh, bomb-sniffing dogs show up at the apartment. Uh, and so that does seem to indicate Jared Menken will be a major storyline this episode. Also, Mark, um, <clears throat> uh, Mark Ravenhead the ATN oh, host yeah. guy who Tom completely failed to properly vet back in yeah. season two, he was there too. So like oh, nice. they were absolutely seeding in like the Roy's are very much still cozied up to the Republican nominees and this like ultra right agenda that's happening in the election that's pending. One observation I wanted to make is I think it is very significant that Roman is the one who is driving, making nice with all of Roman's, I'm sorry, all of Logan's previous people. Mm. So he is very, he's uncharacteristically compassionate to Carrie. Yeah. That was just just weird. I was like, I've never seen Roman be this nice to someone that's weird. Like, I was like, is this going to be some joke where he makes fun of her? But nope, that didn't happen. Um, And then he's also, he says to, to the people, hey, Jared was Logan's friend. Like, let's welcome Jared. He's driving that as well. I, I think the show is trying to say something about how Roman is staying on very good terms with a lot of Logan's old relations. Yeah. And I do think that will come into play later on. Um, and he was, like, he's right to say that he was inside on the Matson deal yeah. far more than the other siblings. And he yeah. has a and better he'll probably rapport. take the lead on He'll probably take yeah. the lead on it. So, yeah. Uh, what else happens this episode? Oh, um, also Roman's little, um, I love the exchange between Roman and Jerry, uh, when they bring up like, oh, everyone knows oh. Logan was souring on Jerry. And she says, well, I don't think there's any paperwork to that effect. And Roman and then gives Roman her says, just uh, enough of a look. He's like, hmm. And then, she, she, and then she says, and then she's like, not that I would even push the matter, you know, and it's. She immediately backs yeah, down. Yeah, and that was like yeah. such a good payoff to like their rapport, which yeah. is like, she knows Roman wouldn't make that face at her for no reason. Right. Like if right. he, if he was the he one has, who had that he conversation. Has he, had, he has the emails from Logan saying, you know, get he has rid the of logistics Jared. folder copy right, probably right. somewhere yeah. that Tom alluded to last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day. Uh, they decide to make Kendall and Roman CEOs. You know, Kendall makes a play for Stewie as well, and Stewie agrees to sign on. Kendall manages to convince everyone that he is for the Gojo deal. That is significant because mere episodes ago, I don't think that was true. Yeah. I don't think it was true that he was for the Gojo deal. So I am curious, like, what kind of game is Kendall playing at right now, right? What is he trying to achieve? Um, He is now in charge. But but to do what? Because two episodes ago, he was trying to sabotage the deal. Right. Uh, from my, from when I, that was my understanding of episode two. So Yeah, um, I think yeah. it was. But it also, even in that episode, that decision was confusing. That decision yeah. wasn't yeah, it entirely. Was not, it was not fully explained. It was not yeah. fully explained. And so. I, I put out a theory for it, but, you know, like, yeah. I don't think it's been clarified in the show at all. So No. Um, and I think 
that's why I'm having a hard time telling if like when Kendall was talking to Stewie, I did kind of feel like that was him being his most genuine. Yeah. Like upfront about what he was feeling and why he was doing that. Because like the, like I, I was happy that we saw so many people respond to Kendall being like, what do you mean you want to be CEO, dude? Like yeah, you are yeah. what? so close to getting out and that's what you've been wanting this for so long. This is the biggest excuse he could ever have to get out. Yeah. Right. So what is he, what is his end game? I'm really curious. Um, it just, it feels to me like a little bit of a backslide of him. He's grieving as all of the siblings are. And for whatever reason in this moment, the, the discomfort of actually having to go do his own thing and try something new and like mm-hmm. break out of this yeah. cycle. Uh, it's, that's a crappy part of healing is when you hit that point of discomfort where, Oh, now all the things that you're doing that are better for you, maybe in the long run are actually unfamiliar to you and to your nervous system or to your brain. And so like, there are times I've experienced this with like depression and stuff. Like there are times where like, it feels more comfortable and safe to stay in the sort of like holding pattern cycle, even if you know that it's not the best thing for you. And I think that it felt to me like that's what Kendall is going through in this episode where it's like he's unmoored he thought that he was getting out he thought that he was like had no more relationship with his father and then his father dies and he's thrown right back into like oh god what is my dad's legacy am i living up to my dad's legacy am i the best version of the man my father raised me to be type of thing and he just like slips right back into his like season one kendall mode of like oh i know how to be a ruthless business killer like my dad so I'm going to go do that for a little bit of time here. And I don't think that's good for him. That's that's very plausible, Kim. Alternate theory. Yeah. Alternate theory. He wants to dismantle his father's legacy. Right. Like it's he a vindictive. Like, it's a vengeance he wants, thing. Yeah. He wants to lay waste to waste our Royco, run it in the worst way possible, run it with an iron fist that kind of completely destroys the company um to get back at his father for making him feel so terrible uh that's also a possibility i have to say no so. i i agree with you and i think that again it's something that i really admire about jeremy strong's performance of kendall roy is that he very convincingly swings you through like that the, he there's an unpredictability to his mood at all times mm-hmm. where like you aren't sure if he's in a place of like, oh, I'm trying to get better and I want to be a good guy and I don't want to be like my dad or I'm going to do what my dad would have done, but just to his reputation. And like, that's literally what he says to Hugo, right? Is like, it's what my dad would have done. Go burn it. Like, go burn his legacy. Uh, Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, But anyway, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, At the end of the episode... Kendall is able to convince everyone that he wants to see the Gojo deal through, right? And so as a result, uh, he and his siblings have a chat. Uh, They talk about what they should do. Very critical scene uh, where Kendall says, hey, I think it should be me. And Roman says, it can't be just you. You've tried to kill dad so many times. And also I'm behind, I'm beyond, you know, next to Gojo deal. I'm okay with it being us being co-CEOs. Um, 
Shiv's like, what about me? Shiv says, what about me? And they say, oh, yeah, well, don't worry. You're gonna, it's going to be totally a threesome situation. Everyone will have equal power, but we're just going to be the front, so it doesn't look weird because it'd be weird for someone who has, a very, has had a very limited role at Waystar Royco to just suddenly be at the top. So uh, I, I think the line is something like two people is fucking, three people is a weird orgy hipster, <laughs> uh, like hippie thing. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, so they convince Shiv, hey, back down, back us. And yeah. uh, it's going to be okay. And, you know, she says, hey, okay, like, you're swearing on our dad's death that this is a thing. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to fuck you over. I'm going to just fast forward to the end of this season. I have a feeling she was going to get fucked over by the end, Kim. That's, it, it is the most clear yeah. that Succession has ever been about, hey, he, he, they're saying a thing. And that's the thing that they are trying to avoid is definitely going to happen. I, I think there's no doubt that Shiv is going to get completely fucked over by the end of the show. Uh, I'm curious how, Yeah. but do you disagree? I just don't even know. I like, <laughs> I, I can't, I think that the, the surprising structure that they've given to this yeah. final season by having Logan die so early yeah. Um, and the way that they are doing such a good job of showing like the unpredictable roller coastery emotion of grief and like power vacuums and all that stuff is like i i'm having a hard time feeling certain about where i think they're going with anything but it definitely doesn't feel good and i think that shiv shiv being the one person who was really against the mankin nomination in the first Mm -hmm. place very against wanting to be in that family photo that she did eventually get into like i do feel like that is that's the open-ended conflict with her and her arc and her family. And yes, they are they seem to be setting her back up as a black sheep once again who like mm-hmm. doesn't have a clear role within yeah. this inner circle anymore. She's really struggling, so it's like what is she? What's her play? And yeah. I'm not sure that sticking with her brothers is going to pay off positively for her. Yeah, I I'd be willing to bet. But I want them to. <laughs> I I'm still really to... want everyone to be nice and friends at the end of this. I'm willing to bet you a deluxe Arby's meal that it does not go well for, for Shiv Roy by the end of this. So How about how about a house red at a yeah. dive bar? Yeah. Uh sounds good. And by the, just Kim, not the whole listenership. That would be too many that'd be hope too many people. Uh so there is a scene where Carolina and Hugo talk. Uh, Kendall and Roman through the options. Option one is, hey, we're just continuing on Logan's legacy. Option two, we torch Logan's legacy. We say, hey, hey, he was basically incompetent at the end. It was the kids who were running things. That would strengthen their position. Uh, Initially, they are resistant to it. Roman in particular says it's very disgusting and please never bring anything like that to them again. But Kendall, after further thought, realizes, hey, this is how we should do it. It's what dad would have wanted it's how dad would have handled things, you know, which I actually think is very true. Uh, and then threatens Hugo and says, Hey, Hugo, you're, you're going to do this without any authorization with no paper trail. You're going to just float this out there. Uh, and if you don't, Kendall intimates that he will get Hugo into trouble for his insider trading admission from earlier. The episode ends with Kendall flashing a smile. And I have to say, this is the creepiest smile that Kendall has ever given on this show. 
And I thought it was an amazing way to end the, end the episode because mm-hmm. we have rarely seen Kendall Roy smile at all in the show. And when he does smile, it, he's kind of joking. He's often in insecure. He's often like, hey, I'm trying to make Lawrence from Volter like me. You know, I'm joking around. Um, yeah. Or he's joking with his siblings. He's making fun of his siblings. Yeah. This is the first time when I've seen Kendall smile in an assured way, in a way that is commensurate with the power that he has. Mm. And it felt like I was watching a true villain being born. Mm. Not just someone with the power, but with the will to destroy people's lives to achieve his own ends. And I thought it was a really chilling way to end the episode. What did you think of the ending of this week's episode of Succession? They've been ending on Kendall... Yeah. A lot. Yeah. They ended on him. The The final shot of him in last week's episode was also. Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. And I think that if you compare that moment, him standing in the moonlight on the tarmac, yeah. watching his, da- his dad's body drive away to standing alone by himself inside his dead father's house, having just successfully gotten he's himself not, he's not alone like, he's like he's across from hugo at that point but sure um, but like just yeah. like he's like the only yeah. one in the frame he's the only one of, in the show. Type yeah. Of yeah yeah vibe and so yeah it i i i completely agree with you spot on about it being chilling in a way that is like discomforting because of how infrequently we've seen kendall in that kind of position and i uh, I'm just maybe so this whole thing is a, <laughs> maybe this whole thing is breaking bad with like Kendall being the the center. It's like maybe that's what the arc of the show is going to be is about how Kendall went from kind of ineffectual to dominating, dominating, but also like kind of pr- pretty, if not evil, then at the very least amoral. Right, uh, like you know, Logan has fully stripped him yes exactly of his I, ability to I, connect any, with his emotions any humanity left right like maybe that will be the ultimate arc. when he flashed that smile i felt like maybe that's the ultimate arc of the show i don't know yeah i, know. I also think <sighs> no one has really brought up his addiction in a while like this whole mm-hmm. season i think no one has said anything about it whereas it mm-hmm. was pretty notable when everyone started saying once again like oh he's off the wagon or Shiv published that let that letter yeah. that really yeah. messed with him that outed all of his his like his history with substance abuse and stuff. And so I keep kind of waiting for that to resurface also. And I think that that could play into his arc in this season is like he's been on he's been on a recovery journey for pretty much this entire show where he's either trying to stay sober or he's trying to get himself out of the business which seems to have deeply impacted his mental health. And so like the fact that he's being very, his decisions are changing very frequently. He's being very, he's being both impulsive and very calculated all the time. And I'm just wondering a, where his family is and B if they are going to like address his actual like personal struggles anymore, or if we're just going to see like CEO Kendall from this point out. I I doubt we'll see any more stuff about his drug struggles this this season, because um, it hasn't been a plotline for so long. I do think the you know, killing the kid will come back though. I, uh, like yeah, or, that podcast. 
uh, not will, but like has a significant possibility of coming back. And maybe the way in which he stomps that out is going to be another plot point along this arc that I just mentioned. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, Kim. That's the episode. Before we wrap up, the, we're going to talk about our favorite quotes. Until then, Kim Renfro, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Um, I'm still covering stuff over on Insider. And you can still find me on Twitter for now, at Kim R. Renfro. And I want to just encourage people to, if you enjoy this podcast, become a paid subscriber at DecodingTV.com. Get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes. And also find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at DecodingTV. We're posting new videos there every week. It's a great time. Give us a follow and you'll get some great, high-quality, highly edited stuff over there. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. All right, Kim Renfro, favorite quote from the episode? It's got to be said to Greg, quote, you're an addendum of miscellaneous matters in pencil with a question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the best corporate speak for you don't matter <laughs> that I've like ever heard. Well, and you don't matter, media- but we still, we still need to talk to you about it because we still not, need to tell you it's not nothing, but it's, it's, it, it's as close to nothing as you could possibly get without being nothing. And know, then Greg's much. response being nevertheless. <laughs> Very good. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, was- he persisted. <laughs> what was yours? I just like when he, Kendall connects with Stewie again this episode. Mm, Stewie yeah. says Stewie, he's trying to invite Stewie aboard, and then he says, Stewie says, "My pubes got a little <laughs> singed last time I went with you," which is just such a very, very vivid image. Um, yes, but but captures kind of how personal it must have gotten between the two of them, you know, uh, in season two. So truly, uh, like that quote as well. All right. Those are our thoughts on this week's episode of Succession. Let us know what you thought at DecodingTV at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another recap of Succession on HBO. Goodbye. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.